Chapter 24 The Throne But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 Have you ever seen a manger in real life? I mean, if you grew up in church like I did, then you've always had that strange little word manger in your vocabulary. And yet, it's never meant the right thing in your brain. If you're anything like me, you drew pictures of mangers and made crafts of mangers out of popsicle sticks in church. If you are a church person, then you've probably seen so many nativity sets that a manger almost seems like the perfect little crib for a brand new baby. When I was growing up, I just thought mangers and cribs were kind of the same thing. In a way, I guess I assumed all babies back in the day made their beds in the straw of an animal feeding trough like the baby Jesus did. But of course, that's not how it was. Jesus slept in a manger for a crib because he had to. Mary and Joseph weren't invited into the inn with their extended family, so they had to bunk down in the garage where everyone parked their donkeys. When Mary had the baby, Joseph did the best he could, frantically scanning the little shed for anything soft. The manger wasn't an ideal crib. It was just the closest thing to a crib Joseph could use as a substitute. One time, when I was in an old farm, I saw an actual feeding trough in a stable. It took me a while to realize that I was looking at my first real manger that wasn't created for a nativity set. It was way bigger than I had imagined. Way too big for a newborn baby. In my mind, the manger in Bethlehem was the perfect size for the baby Jesus, but of course, however big the real manger was, it would have been the perfect size for donkeys to eat out of, not for a baby to sleep in. The manger I saw on the old farm was no work of art. As far as carpentry goes, it was practical and sturdy, but it was not beautiful or carefully crafted. If this manger in the old farm was any indicator, then the first throne for the king of the world was thrown together from some rough scraps of wood and rusty nails that were left over and happened to be lying around. Thrones are usually handcrafted by a master woodworker with painstaking quality and meticulous attention to detail. Jesus' first throne was a substitute, merely a functional afterthought that had been borrowed and repurposed. The angel that interrupted Joseph's dream told him to name the baby Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. It's impossible to know what Joseph understood about that. Most folks thought of the Messiah as a conquering warrior who would overthrow Israel's political oppressors. But the angel didn't say anything about saving them from Rome. He said this boy was going to save them from their sins. And just mentioning that word sin makes everything uncomfortable. The world makes more sense when you think about the good guys versus the bad guys. It's easy to understand the idea that my life has been hard because some evil foreign invaders took over and ruined everything. They're the bad guys, and if we could just get rid of them, everything would be wonderful. But that word sin, it complicates things because everyone has sinned. No one is sinless. Which means that if the problem is sin, 
I am part of the problem. If sin is the issue, it's not about the good guys versus the bad guys, because in some ways, we're all bad guys. If Jesus came to save us from sin, then that means he came to save us from ourselves. Recently, I heard about an important and influential person within a famous Christian missions organization who gave a talk about how people are changing in such a way that they no longer feel guilty for the things that they do that are wrong. This person said that if we're going to reach them, we need to change our message. He said we need to stop talking about Jesus' death as a substitutionary payment for the guilt and debt of sin, but rather talk about the epic journey of faith which is, I guess, more appealing and more relevant. On the other hand, last week I had 10 high school freshmen in my living room talking about life and God. I asked them what it felt like inside to get away with something they knew was wrong. How did you feel? Let's say you didn't get caught. No one knew. Okay, how did you feel? And all around the room, guys said they felt gross. They felt terrible. They felt wrong and guilty. One guy actually said, I felt like I should be punished. You see, no matter what the changing psychological theories may suggest, we all know way down deep inside our inner person that we are part of the bad guys and we need to be rescued from ourselves. We sense that we've been wrong. We know that no matter how much we've tried to be good and no matter how much better we think we are than someone else around us, We are not who we should have been. We're guilty. And we need to make amends. Every single person who looks deeply and honestly in the mirror knows that they have a debt. And what's more, we sense that we can't really pay it. And that is why Jesus came. That's why Christmas happened. That was the mission of the Christ. He came to save us from our sins. He came to pay our debt. He came to be our substitute, to stand in the gap and take our place. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not as simple as the good guys versus the bad guys, because That line of good and evil runs right through the center of every human heart, and we are all on the wrong side of the line. Jesus came to give his life in our place. He came to be our sacrifice for sin. And 700 years before that first Christmas, Isaiah said, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus came into our world, Joseph laid the king of kings down onto a manger throne that had been hastily thrown together with rough scraps of wood and rusty nails. It wasn't beautiful but it was functional. The baby thrived and grew. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was the first and only human heart that managed to walk through this world without being drawn in, pulled down, polluted, and ruined by sin. His life 
was beautiful, and he was kind and good. His life was one long, uninterrupted movement of perfect love from start to finish, and in the end, he willingly handed it over to be crushed and destroyed for the sinful hearts who were hopeless without him. When our Lord went to his death, soldiers laid the king of kings down onto another throne, this time a cross that had been hastily thrown together with rough wood. They hammered rusty spikes into his perfect wrists, and the precious blood of the Lamb of God was spilled for you and for me. The king of the world waged a battle against wrong and sin and death from his rough-hewn throne. He fought and he died, but he won the victory for all time.